0: What is going on, everybody? My name is Eric, and you are listening to the SideQuesting Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, maybe it's your first time, maybe it's your counts episodes on fingers, 40, 34th time plus four or five anime episodes. Don't know, lost count at this point. But welcome, all, one and all, new, old, anybody in between. Thank you so much for giving us just a little bit of your time as you do every week, or maybe you have for the first week. I have no idea, what is this intro? Doesn't matter, It just all that matters is that wherever in time and space you might be listening, that you are having a great time living your best life, maybe living your worst life, I don't know. Free choice, free will and all that, but I hope you're living your best life and I hope you're playing some awesome games, watching cool shows, doing neat stuff you always wanted to do, I don't know, maybe you finally took that baking class, whatever it is. Maybe you're listening to the podcast where you're learning a new skill. That's awesome. Congratulations. Go, you. Look at you doing the things, all of the things. So, oh, man, might be the worst intro to date. I don't know. I have never know how to open the episodes, so you're just going to have to get used to that. I don't care. Don't know. <laughs> Maybe if I ever do this professionally one day, I'll learn how to do it the right way. But it's not going to be today. It's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be for the next 50 episodes, most likely. Whatever. I digress. Got a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. A couple things I want to open with, and then we're going to dive into our main topic, which is an upcoming video game that just got delayed. I know, that's like literally every video game for the past year and a half that's been getting getting delayed. But it's one very near and dear to my heart. And you're going to listen to me talk about it for like an hour. So if you don't want to do that, you can leave. It's fine. I understand. But I'm going to rant about one of my personal favorite games of all time, and you're just going to have to sit here and listen to it. So I, I guess that would make me a hostage taker, which would not be a good thing. So... Like I said, free will and all that, but you better stay and listen. <laughs> so the first thing I wanted to bring up is late earlier this week or last week. I don't know. Sometime time is an illusion. We got our first look at the Uncharted trailer featuring starring Tom Holland as Nathan Drake and Marky Mar- Mar- Mark Wahlberg as Sully. And I'm not quite sure. <laughs> listen. I'm just going to be blowing with you guys. The trailer looked... The trailer was cool. I enjoyed the music. You know, can never go wrong with Led Zeppelin on your trailer. That's for sure. Uh, Really awesome epic arrangement of Ramble On, which is normally why I watch trailers in the first place, is because they normally have really cool epic remixes of songs that they've been using in them. That's been the style of trailer lately. Uh, Man, that sure looks like a movie. It's a movie, all right. It felt very... I don't know. It felt very Hollywood, I guess. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I enjoy Hollywood action movies as much as the next guy. I just, I've always kind of wondered about casting Tom Holland as Nathan Drake. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love Tom Holland. I think he is a great actor. I love him as Spider-Man. He's been probably my favorite Spider-Man that's ever played Spider-Man amongst the three of them. He's, perfectly plays the part. He captures the essence of Peter Parker perfectly. He has that youth, that energy, uh, the boyful charm about him, I guess. But I just don't feel like that's a great fit for Nathan Drake. Nathan Drake's a little bit older. He's a little more gruff. Uh, he's a little more manly, I guess. Not saying that as like, a bad thing, but Tom Holland has this shtick that he does and he does it in a lot of the Marvel movies where Any scene that he's in, he kind of has this confused look on his face like he's almost not supposed to be there. (laughs) Like when they're uh, in Avengers Endgame, when they're on the ship and they rescue Doctor Strange and the Guardians of the Galaxy come in and everyone's just kind of standing around. And Tom Holland just doesn't look like he knows where he is or what he's doing or where he's meant to be there. Although I know that that's because they hid parts of the script from him so he wouldn't spoil it because he's notorious for just spoiling scripts. He just and not saying that's a bad thing either like he acts that he owns that really well like that's his style of acting and it's it works really well i just don't feel like that's the character of nathan drake and i i understand you're going for a different interpretation on a big blockbuster game and that you want to obviously have star power to your big movie that's a sony move i i get it but it just doesn't it doesn't feel right to me it doesn't feel right to me and i'd love to be proven completely wrong i'd love to go see this movie and just be blown out of the water by what they do with it but i don't know like i said tom holland is a very specific type of actor you know so is mark Wahlberg. i can't stop seeing mark Wahlberg, and my default role if i go to him is the other guys for whatever reason with will ferrell (laughs) he shot jeter and i don't uh i don't know I, i just don't see it I don't see it. It's interesting. Like I said, it was a good trailer and it definitely looks like a movie. It's a good action movie that you can burn two hours away with, but I don't think that that is... I don't even know who I would pick to play Nathan Drake that has that... Like, Nathan Drake is a character that's very knowledgeable when he has to be. He has knowledge of history. He's also very... uh, Like, he gets business done. He doesn't take shit from anybody when he has to be. He's also very... Much a wise ass and does wise cracks and is sarcastic when he has to be. So you need somebody that can really kind of encompass that whole thing, I guess. I don't know why my brain keeps telling me Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I don't think that would be a perfect fit, but that's that's closer. I feel I'm not quite sure. I don't know. I don't know how I. I don't know how I feel about it, but it is what it is. The movie's definitely got star power. I'd be curious to see more about it when it gets closer to release. I didn't see when the trailer said the release date was. It's definitely later next year, I'm assuming. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see if Tom Holland pulls off Nathan Drake. I definitely think he has the skill to. I just, I don't see it. It's difficult for me to visualize something that I've only seen a little bit of, and it could possibly work. We'll have to see. The second thing I wanted to touch on is, and I know you guys are probably... Going to be tired of me talking about this already. Just like, shut up and move on. It happened two weeks ago. <laughs> Can you just please move on with your life? Or three weeks ago, however many weeks ago it was now. Holy crap, October is almost over. It's going to be Christmas and Thanksgiving soon. That's very stressful. Uh, <laughs> and then my wedding is in February. Oh boy, that's, I'm having an existential crisis while recording this podcast episode. That's okay. We'll get through it. So the second thing I wanted to bring up was just a little more. We got a little more information. On my boy Sora getting into Smash Bros right I wanted to talk about this because the parallels between Sora getting into Smash and Kingdom Hearts as a game existing are eerily similar eerily similar and I'll tell you what I mean by that in a recent Famitsu article Mr. Sakurai walked us through the difficulties he had securing Sora as a fighter in Smash Bros and as i said in the audio that may or may not be gone now there are a lot of legal hurdles in getting sora in smash just because of how many corporations were involved at the time you have square enix you have disney so you have to get approval from both of those companies because you might just think oh just whatever let them throw it in there but no people that own ips companies that own ips that make a lot of money are very very particular in the way that they are represented in stuff that they lend them to because one bad representation of your character can dent that character's image. I mean, it's happened before. It's the reason why Mickey Mouse hasn't had a new game in a while, because the Epic Mickey games, while they were good, didn't perform to Disney's expectations, and they were kind of let down by him. So what ended up happening is he was at an award ceremony by chance, and he I, I'm i paraphrasing this. and I'm I can't read the Famitsu article because it's in Japanese. I'm sure it's translated somewhere, but I'm not going to talk about it. So he's at an award show and he just happened to be there. And he met a representative of Disney, an executive of Disney at the award show. And he told him that he wanted to put Sora in Super Smash Bros. And the executive thought it was a great idea. And Sakurai was stunned. He couldn't believe that this is what he was hearing. He thought it would be impossible with all the difficulties. But the executive said, hey, like, let's make it happen. Uh, and from there... You know, Nintendo Square and Disney started negotiations and working together, and they put in a lot of hours to try and figure out how they could make this happen. And Square and Disney were very, very particular in the way they wanted Sora portrayed as close to his character as possible from the games. And this is incredible because Kingdom Hearts itself kind of owes its life to a chance meeting like this. So you just, those of you who don't know, know the history of Kingdom Hearts, Here Nobu Sakaguchi and one of his other people whose names escapes me, but is also a big part of Final Fantasy, were working working at Square at the time. And they were inspired by Super Mario 64. Mario 64 is kind of the baseline of 3D games back then with the way it controlled and the environments and stuff like that. So they were inspired by that game and they wanted a 3D action adventure game to compete with Mario 64. And they felt that the only character at the time that could compete with Mario was Mickey Mouse or was a character from Disney because Mario was a force of nature by then and Pokemon was just starting to pick up steam. So they needed a recognizable character to build a game of that caliber. And then as they're thinking about it, Nomura walked by, volunteered to lead the project, and then things kind of went along. And one person, I don't remember who it was from Square, ended up in an elevator with a Disney executive and pitch the game to him. And that's was the starting of Kingdom Hearts. Was it's just a chance meeting in an elevator where you know a guy, that's why in business school, one of the big things they tell you to do is practice your elevator pitch because you might find yourself in an elevator with some kind of executive or something and you only have the length of the elevator ride to pitch your idea to him. So it's gotta be short, it's gotta be concise, it's gotta deliver all the ideas that you want to communicate very quickly. So the parallels between Sora coming to life in Kingdom Hearts and Sora getting into Smash are eerily similar where Sakurai just happens to meet a Disney executive at an award show by chance and say, and just, t- it's, you know what they say, the kids say, shoot your shot. Sakurai shot a shot because he really wanted this to happen and it happened. So that's a good lesson for anybody. You know, you, you can be afraid of being told no, but you can't be told no until you ask. And it doesn't hurt to ask. So I just thought that was cool. I just wanted to reiterate that. It's kind of like a just it's for a person that knows that it's just kind of a scary coincidence how eerily similar (laughs) that is that that happened and incredible that so many high level corporations and people with so much on the line were able to get together and work together amicably and deliver something that the fans actually wanted. That's incredible. It's absolutely unbelievable. So enough about that. That's the last time I want to talk about Sora and Smash. I promise. It's done. It's over. He's in the game. Whatever. It's gone. It's done. (laughs) I promise. So let's move on to our main topic. The main topic today is going to be about a game that recently got delayed. And if you know me, you probably already know what it is. I was going to shelf this episode because with the game being delayed, it didn't really make sense to talk about it. But I said, eh, screw it. Anyways, I want to talk about a game that I really like. And so today, we are going to be talking about Advance Wars 1 and Advance Wars 2 for the Game Boy Advance, along with the recently delayed Advance Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp remake remaster of this game. For the uninitiated, what is Advance Wars? Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. You might have heard of its more popular cousin Fire Emblem, but basically, what Advance Wars is, it's a top-down turn-based strategy game where units are moved on a grid in order to defeat your opponent. The difference between this and Fire Emblem is this is basically Fire Emblem with modern military units, and there are no specific characters in Advance Wars outside of the COs which control the troops. The troops are unnamed. They're nameless soldiers sent in waves to their death. It's very kind of cruel if you think about it. So there's not... When you approach playing Advance Wars and you approach playing Fire Emblem, you're playing two very different games, even though they're very similar. They're in the same vein. They're both top-down, unit-driven strategy games where you move units on a grid to try and accomplish whatever the objective is for victory. Except that in Fire Emblem... part of fire emblem is forming connections between your characters and the traditional fire emblem experience is once you die your your once your character dies it's dead it's gone it's out of the army it's it's like real warfare and that adds a certain amount of weight and gravity to every situation it you know there's a very real chance that if a character dies that you've been raising a long time you're going to want to start the level over and you see you don't want to be without that character you've built relationships you've you know built levels into it you it has gear it has all these things it's time that you put it's an investment and advanced wars is is not like that uh, the the units in advanced wars are easily easily replaceable you can pump out units continually over and over just throwing them at the enemy using them as meat shields it's, it's it's a completely different experience so if you're a big time fire emblem player and have never played advanced wars you should actually say thank you to advanced wars because if it wasn't for the success of advanced wars in north america Fire Emblem would have never came over here. It was because of the success of Advance Wars that the first Fire Emblem game came over for GBA. It was Fire Emblem 7. I think that's Blazing Blade? I think it's Blazing Blade, which is the prequel to Fire Emblem 6, Binding Blade, which is the one with Roy. And, you know, Roy is the sword, the red sword guy from from Smash Bros. That's probably what most people know him as because I'd be interested to see how many people have actually played fire emblem six in the states that that would be interesting even more people that played whatever the one was with marth i don't even remember which one it was <laughs> probably even fewer have played have played that game except the really really heavy uh really heavy fire emblem fans so yeah immediately you have to take a different approach to playing Advance wars than playing fire emblem whereas your moves are the strategy plays different your moves are very kind of deliberate and based around not losing characters in Fire Emblem whereas you're allowed to be play a little looser and faster in Advance Wars So both of these games came out uh the first Advance Wars came out in 2001 in North America 2003 Advance Wars 2 Black Hole Rising came out and then this game actually didn't debut in Japan until 2004 when it was in a like a double Game Boy pack called Game Boy Wars One and Two Advanced or something like that, I believe, or something like that. And then there were two other ins- installations of this game. There was uh, Advanced Wars Dual Strike on the DS, Dual Strike DS. Haha, Funny naming convention. They did the same thing with Dream Drop Distance, and I'm 3D. I'm I'm done. I'm over it. And then they had Advance Wars Days of Ruin, which. If you played Advanced Wars 4 and seen it and seen the trailer for Reboot Camp, it's a very cartoony, kind of lighthearted take on war. Or if you've played Wargroove as well. But <laughs> Days of Ruin was so dark and so depressing. <laughs> it was it was like it's it's very emo phase during high school. Where the plots of Advanced Wars 1 and 2 and Dual Strike revolve around this world war, uh, including the the allied nations and the... the per- antagonist nation black hole days of ruin involves the earth's population getting wiped out by meteors and the survivors having to deal with a pandemic that's spreading across the country and having to fight evil forces who are trying to take over in the wake of this just tragedy that wiped out most <laughs> of the planet's population it's a super super depressing take like they went from <laughs> like super light-hearted to very very depressing in the matter of of one game so and Days of Ruin and Dual Strike, Well, Dual Strike and Days of Ruin were received relatively well, they didn't perform as well as 1 and 2, and that's why we're going to be sticking to 1 and 2. And mostly because when people play Advanced Wars competitively, they're mostly playing the rule sets based off of 1 and 2. Dual Strike was just too broken, because the whole gimmick in Dual Strike is that instead of using 1 CO, you could use 2. And we'll cover that a little later with COs and powers and stuff like that, why that was so broken. And it was basically pretty much a race of whoever can get their power first is going to win the game. So it, it discouraged a lot of strategic gameplay that Advance Wars 1 and 2 pioneered into like gameplay of like, oh, how can I get my power the fastest? And that pretty much ends the game. And that's not really fun because then it's just like, well, what's the point of having strategic use of units if the power just ends the game for you? Some of the basic gameplay so like I said before, all of the combat takes place on a map that has a grid on it, and each grid is basically one space, right The grids have different type of the spaces have different types of terrain, and the map is made up of different terrain tiles like plains, forests, mountains, rivers, roads, uh, cities and properties, sea, shoals, reefs, and j- all those different terrain type units and those affect how units move on the ground. So, just for example, and we'll, and we'll get into the different units in a second here. A standard infantry unit can you move three spaces in a turn most of the time. Uh, if they're moving across plains, if they're moving across forests, if they're moving on roads through cities, pretty standard that infantry can move through all types of terrain with only one space of movement cost. They can move their full three. So when it comes to mountains, Mountains are impassable by all units except air units and infantry. And infantry have to pay a penalty cost of two to move through them. Or if you're using their slightly more beefy cousins, the mech units, which have bazookas, they can move through mountains with no movement cost at all, just like it's regular terrain. Same thing with rivers. Infantry have to pay movement cost to cross rivers, but they can cross rivers without bridges and as mechs can well. Ground units cannot cross mountains. Ground units cannot cross rivers without bridges or roads that go over them or you know be moving landers and stuff but that's different so um all the terrains give you different types of defense bonuses too so if you're on a plane tile you get one star which i think is 10 percent defense forests give you two stars which is 20 percent defense mountains give you four stars uh bridges and roads give you no defense so it's really dangerous to leave units parked on roads when you're taking engagements because you get no extra defense cities give you three stars hqs give you four um and the city and base properties have the added bonus of when units are parked on them, if your units are hurt, they can get healed and repaired two hit points every turn. I keep talking a lot about units, so let's jump into the units too. So there are two pretty broad categories of units in Advanced Wars that all units can be classified into, and those are direct units and indirect units. The names are probably pretty self-explanatory, direct units you have to be the tile adjacent to your opponent to attack them. Indirect units you can fire on units from a distance. But the balance of direct units to indirect units is is very heavily tilted in direct units. There are way way more direct fire units than there are indirects. The only indirect units you have in the games are artillery which I believe has a 2 to 3 range, rockets which have a 3 to 5 range, I believe. And Uh, your battleships which have massive range battleships are really expensive and have like a massive range out at sea they're the only ranged naval unit and then there's a missile unit too which I believe also has a three to five range and that's like an anti-air unit to kind of shoot down air units before they can get to you direct units are are your standard direct units what you think they're your infantry units they're your mech units they're tanks they're anti-air medium tanks neo tanks Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting some, recon units. Units of that nature. And all those units do different things and have different goals. And of all the units together, there's kind of two different tiers. There's lower tier units, which are your least expensive units. So like infantry is like a thousand gold. Or G, whatever the currency of advanced wars is, I'm not sure, a thousand dollars. Because capitalism and more. So infantry are like a thousand. Recon's are four thousand. Tanks are seven thousand. And those are like your lower tier units. Those are your relatively inexpensive units that you're going to be building earlier in the game. And then you have your higher tier units. You have your medium tanks, which are just big old thick, beefy tank boys. You have your rockets. You have, you know, like your neo tanks. You have uh, your bombers, your fighters, your battleships, your really, really big, expensive units. Bombers cost twenty two thousand and you can pretty much one shot any unit on the map uh battleships are 28,000 uh cruisers are 20,000 so naval units are pretty high tier as are as are a majority of air units battle lower tier unit they only cost 9,000 so you can get an air presence out right away the only drawback is pretty much any unit can fire on a battle copter but battle are really cost efficient and we'll talk a little bit about that later so you have all these different units that you can build and part of the fun of advanced wars is getting to build and assemble your army to counter whatever the enemy has. And a big part of that when you're planning that is counterplay. it's okay. What does the enemy have on their side of the map? What do I need to counter that? If an enemy has a lot of indirects and a few direct units, you wanna build some direct units that can punch through the lines because once you get up in the face of an indirect unit, it can't do anything. Uh, if the enemy has a heavy, heavy dose of direct units, you want to kind of use your direct, your own direct units to kind of build a wall and position indirect units behind it to kind of soften them up while you kind of just take them head on. So there's a lot of different strategies you can use uh, to do this. And obviously I went back to, going back to the terrain, you know, vehicles can only cross land terrains. They can't cross water, they can't cross mountains, they need bridges to cross rivers. uh, They need, there's a unit called a lander that can ferry them from island to island if you're playing a more water-based map. Aircraft, cross all terrain. With no cost, they can move their full movement over any terrain. The stupid thing about air units is, though, you would think that because units are in the air that you could like park units underneath them. But since it's like a top-down map, whatever space an air unit occupies, that space is taken. You can't like put anything underneath it, which is super unrealistic because stuff flies over us all the time. And it allows for some like kind of annoying... You can use air units to kind of block off areas if an enemy doesn't have... Anti-air that can shoot on them—it's <laughs> kind of annoying because you're like, "Well, this is stupid. I'd just be able to drive under these air units, but I can't. But I can't do that. It's—it's it's kind of annoying." Uh, and then, not as much naval play in Advanced Wars, just because naval units are really expensive and they don't really do anything. I mean, submarines, cruisers, battleships, and landers are the only four you have. Aircraft are much more cost-effective because they're much more powerful. So that's just a review of some of the units. One of the most important units, by the way, is the cheapest, the infantry, because a big part of the game is capturing properties. Properties give you funds to build your army and to repair your units. Funds are probably the single most important mechanic in the game, because without funds, you can't build anything and you're gonna lose. Unless it's a pre-deployed map where you don't have bases you can build stuff and you just have a assigned army, that's a different style of play. Most Advance Wars games are played with bases where you build units, and infantry units are the only units that can capture neutral properties, and enemy properties. So you're always gonna to wanna to have infantry around despite the fact that they're <laughs> the cheapest thing you can build. You can essentially use infantry as fodder because they're easily, easily replaceable and don't cost a lot of money. Doesn't mean you should be stupid with your infantry units, but they, they, it's just, they don't, they don't cost very much, so. <laughs> the gimmick in Advanced Wars is every time that you play the game, you play as a CO or a commanding officer that essentially gives your units orders. And there are multiple different CEOs in the games belong- belonging to the different countries. So there's Orange Star, Blue Moon, Green Earth, Yellow Comet, and Black Hole. And essentially the story is, in Advance Wars 1, Orange Star and Blue Moon have been at war for a long time. There's a misunderstanding, whereas Black Hole has tricked all the nations into fighting one another in order to try and conquer them. The allied nations figure this out and corner Black Hole, defeat them. Advance Wars 2, Black Hole returns with... More COs and a bigger army to conquer the world, I guess, because that's what bad guys do. It should be said too. So, in Advance Wars One, you're playing mostly as the the Orange Star CEOs because Orange Star is like the the heroic nation. Uh, in Advance Wars Two, you're playing the campaign as all of the CEOs because, or all the countries because all of the countries are under attack by Black Hole. So you have these different COs that have different abilities that affect the way the game is played. Certain CEOs prefer certain units over one another and they also have powers that charge up over time that can change the landscape of the battle Uh, for example the baseline character in the game is the co from orange star andy andy is like the tutorial character you have access to andy right away you play as him first and andy has no day-to-day powers his units are just the standard baseline units they're not any stronger they're not any weaker they just kind of exist um, and he's like the baseline character, which you play the game. Now, the second orange star CEO you get in Advance Wars One is Max, and Max is a direct combat specialist. So Max's direct combat units have increased firepower. That's his gimmick. So direct combat units deal more damage. In Advance Wars 1, it was like 50% more damage, I think. It was really broken. Max was the strongest character in the game in Advance Wars 1. Thankfully, in Advance Wars 2, they dial them back a little bit, and I think it's only like a 15 or 20% firepower boost, which is still kind of crazy, but they definitely made him worse. His drawback, though, is since Max is so good with direct units, his indirect units are bad. They have one less range and they have reduced firepower. So it's pretty much stupid for you to build indirect units as Max, because your direct units are better. They're just better. That's the type of unit. So if you pick Max as your CO, you know you're gonna be playing a very direct confrontation style of game. Whereas if you have a CO that doesn't struggle with indirects, you know, if you can set up a wall to kind of contain Max, you can pick him off with indirects because he doesn't have a response to that. Uh, The third Orange Star CO, for example, is uh, Sammy. Sammy, I think it's Sammy. And Sammy is a troop specialist so all of her units all of her ground units all of her like air units except for troops have reduced firepower I think they have 10% reduced firepower and that kind of sucks but Sammy's an infantry specialist so her infantry are super strong and her landers are super strong so she's able to move troops around the map very 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 quickly and she has extra capturing so the way capturing works is if you move an infantry onto a city you get the prompt to capture and it reduces each all cities have 20 HP and all units in words have 10 HP. So if you have a 10 HP inventory capturing a 20 HP city, you can capture it in two days because 10 HP, it takes 10 HP each turn. So capturing a property should take two days unless your inventory isn't full health. Sammy gets an extra half of her HP tacked on to capturing. So she can do 15 capture points of damage to a property on a turn and capture it potentially faster especially if she gets interrupt and all of these COs have what they call CO powers which is a you have a CO meter and the meter fills up as you do damage and take damage in the course of combat when your CO power fills up you can choose to use it and what that does is it generates a temporary buff or an extra ability for your CO on the day that you use it so for example uh, and in Advanced Wars 2, they added super CO power. So there was a regular CO power and a super CO power. So, for example, in Advanced Wars 2, Andy, the generalist who d- isn't good at anything but bad at anything, um, his CO power is hyper repair. So what it does is it instantly heals all units across the map, two hit points. And then his super CO power is hyper upgrade. It instantly heals all of his units across the map, five hit points, and gives him one extra space of movement. So picking a CO that has a power and a style of play that you like is a really important choice. And it affects the way you play the game. Like I said, if you pick Max, you're going to be building more direct units. If you pick Sami, you're going to be building more troops to fly around and capture properties quicker. One CO from Blue Moon is Grit. He is an indirect specialist, so all of his indirect units have in, like one increased range. Um, with his powers. I'm not sure if it's a day-to-day ability and all of his indirect units are stronger. Grit's playstyle varies drastically from Max's playstyle whereas Max you want to be up in the face of your opponent. Grit is all about building a wall of units and advancing your indirect your artillery your rocket units forward so the enemy can never get to you is essentially Grit's playstyle. Other COs like Eagle of Green Earth. Eagle is an air unit specialist. So you definitely want to play Eagle on a map that has airports, which is the base you use to to build air units. I didn't explain that very well either. Yeah, so airports, you build air units. Ports, you build ships. Bases, you build ground units. Essentially, those are the three different types of unit production facilities, if I may use fancy terminology. Uh, so Eagle, Green Earth CO, his... Air units are really good. I think they get like 10 or 15% increased firepower uh, with the expense of his naval units just being absolute trash, which isn't bad because naval combat is really not emphasized too much in Advanced Wars, which is kind of a shame because it often gets overlooked for just how expensive naval units are. So you're always going to be wanting to build air units as as Eagle, and Eagle also has one of the most broken superpowers in the game, uh, which is Lightning Strike, which allows you to move twice in one turn. And that's absolutely brutal because it's turn-based strategy game, so you're moving and then your opponent's moving and then you're moving and then your opponent's moving. So being able to move twice on a turn is absolutely, like, completely, completely broken, uh, which is the reason why that super cool power is is expensive. Some powers are more expensive than others just because of how broken they are. And this was a big, big problem in Advance Wars 1 and 2 because having broken COs and having overpowered COs completely ruined the competitive. And the way the competitive scene dealt with that is they sorted COs into tiers and said, OK, you can only use this tier CO or this tier CO. And this has happened over a lot of debate because, like I said, Max in Advance Wars 1 was a like a top tier CO because he was just so broken with his incredible firepower boost. Nobody could stand up to him. He was just absolutely broken and they they tuned him down a little bit. In Advance Wars 2. Uh, in Advanced Wars 2, Colin, who's a Blue Moon CEO, is absolutely broken beyond belief because one of the most powerful things in Advance Wars is income, it's funds, it's money. And Colin has a very, very cheap regular power called Gold Rush where it gives him 50% extra money of what he already has when he uses it. And he's able to build units cheaper as Colin's whole gimmick. He gets like a 10% reduced cost to build units, but they're 10% weaker. But that doesn't really matter if you have extra money and can build more units. That You can overcome that firepower gap very, very quickly. And in maps where a lot of income can be generated and Colin's power gold rush is very cheap, you can just keep getting tons and tons of money and just... It's very, very difficult no matter what CO your opponent picks to overcome such an overwhelming income disparity. It, it really is because whenever you're taking engagements against Colin, you're giving him his little power, which only costs two, two stars that fill up relatively quickly. So you're just going to be giving him extra money all the time, all the time, and he can just outbuild units and get more value than you. It's just there's nothing you can do about it. Another broken CO is the Yellow Comet CO Kanbai. Can be Kanbei. He's like Yellow Comet's like the Eastern inspired nation. It's very like so. Kanbei is like a samurai CEO, and his he's the opposite of Colin. So he has the opposite gimmick. His units cost ten percent more, or whatever percent more, but they get increased firepower and defense. And his super CEO power, which is relatively expensive, gives you like insane attack and defense. Basically, when Kanbei. Uh, pop samurai spirit which is his super co-power you, you there's nothing you can do about it there's nothing you can do about it like you can't attack him like he takes no damage especially if he's sitting on defensive tiles he just he takes no damage <laughs> he he can just run you over and there's nothing you can do about it for like a, basically a whole turn <laughs> it's it's absolutely ridiculous so while this game was a lot of fun there were obvious balancing issues that couldn't be resolved back then because you couldn't patch a game the way you can now because it was a GBA cartridge. It's, you shipped it, and that, and that was it. Um, so this was why COs were kind of uh, structured into tiers, and when people play against each other, they say, okay, we're only gonna use uh, COs in this tier, or hey, we're gonna have a high CO tier battle, so use the most broken CO, CO you can, and like let's, let's fight with them. quick I'll just go through the COs of all the nations just so you guys can know what their powers are and just kind of what they do off the top of my head and then might do like a more in-depth episode as the game gets closer we get a little more information and obviously they delayed the reboot camp because they're making balance changes because this game desperately needed to be balanced but in advance wars 1 and 2 uh, mostly advance wars 2 because that's in my opinion the more balanced version although Colin and some people are are pretty broken. I'll basically give you each CO's kind of what their deal is and then I guess you can decide for yourself <laughs> what you want to do. So uh, Orange Star CEOs, I already covered Andy, I covered Max, I covered Sammy. Uh, Orange Star actually has one other CO who's like the head leader, the Supreme Commander of the Armed Forces and her name is Nell and her gimmick is uh, she's lucky. And the way luck works is when you're attacking units and doing damage, there's a luck stat based on what CO you are, and I'm not 100% sure how this works, because it's not, a, a, the, the high tier players know exactly how this works, um, but th- there's extra damage that can be applied based on like an RNG luck roll. Um, and Nell is very lucky, her luck stat is very high, so she ends up dealing extra bonus damage, and her powers reflect that too. Her, her powers make her luck even higher, so you can have ridiculous scenarios where you have like a two hit point infantry, like one shot, a nine hit point tank, because her luck is just so high. Like she can get these stupidly like really lucky random rolls. It's it's actually hilarious. Um kind of makes her a pain to go up against because when she has her power, no unit is safe because you can be one shot by a weak unit that you would never expect to be. So um, that's the orange star nation. Blue moon, we talked about grit a little bit and Colin. Um, grit's the indirect specialist, and Colin is the money boy, the, the cheapo, but the money boy. And uh, Blue Moon is led by a CEO named Olaf. Olaf was the antagonist of Advance wars one olaf is kind of like andy he's like a baseline he doesn't have any like strengths or weaknesses day to day uh his co power is blizzard which makes it snow there is weather effects in this game um so it makes it snow he he has no movement penalty in the snow whereas like everybody else has can move very very little when it snows snow is a pain in the ass your vehicles are pretty much moving one to two squares a turn it's it's Snow sucks. It really does. Uh, and then his Winter Fury, which makes it snow and deals two hit points of damage globally to all your units. So those are the Blue Moon COs. Yellow Comet, I touched on Kanbei a little bit. He's the Samurai Emperor of the Yellow Comet Nation. And he just has expensive units that are really hard to kill. They have increased attack and defense. But they're just really expensive. So you need to kind of have a, a bigger economy with Kanbei. Uh, Sonia, who's Kanbei's daughter, is all about uh tactical information and gathering data her CEO power revolves around a gimmick in the game or her CEO powers revolve around a gimmick in the game called fog of war so in fog of war the map is obscured it's dark you can't see where the enemy is and all the units that you produce have certain vision stats that allow them to see so many tiles into the into the fog so sonya's abilities revolve around being able to see really well in fog of war it's very situational um, except her super co-power, which is counter break, which allows her to counter attack before. The way combat works in advanced wars is when you initiate combat, it's called like getting the first strike. And so you'll shoot first, and then the enemy will retaliate with what they have left. So if you shoot with a tank and you do five hit points of damage to their tank, they might do two hit points of damage to you um, with their returning firepower. It's, it's always, there's always a, a trade-off when, when you clash units, unless you can completely wipe the unit out, do 100% damage to it, in which it takes all of its hit points away. Sonya's superpower when you attack her first she actually gets to attack you first so like her counterattack, like trumps your regular attack it's actually super annoying because it's a relatively cheap power Uh, and then there's the old man CO Sensei from Yellow Comet Uh, his whole gimmick is copters and troops right it's the American like Vietnam strategy essentially in a CO Uh, his copters are really strong his infantry and mechs are really strong his transports are really strong he can his battle copters are insane they're so powerful they're absolutely broken uh, because battle are fast moving cheap to produce air unit and these things hit they hit hard man if you're playing against sensei you can't let him have too many battle copters or you're you're screwed and his super co power and co powers are cheap too because they put troops on every city that's open every city that he owns it'll just put troops on them <laughs> for free it's absolutely ridiculous it's completely it's completely broken <laughs> sensei is another completely broken uh, co move over to the greener COs. Eagle. We talked about Eagle already. He has lightning strike as his power and his air units are really strong. We have Drake, who's the poor opposite of Eagle. His naval units are really strong. He's a naval commander and his CO power and super CO powers. I believe the super CO power is Typhoon. It deals two HP damage globally and it drains your fuel by half. Yes, there is fuel in this game, by the way. So when you're moving your units around, you have to be careful not to run out of fuel and ammo because they only have so many shots. Adds another layer of strategy and depth to the top of it. So that's Drake's whole gimmick. And then the last uh, greener CO is Jess. She's a ground combat specialist. She's a ground combat specialist. Not to be confused with Max, who is a direct unit specialist. It's more broad. Her, Her specialty is in ground units only. So it's anything that's on the ground. If it's air or sea units, they have a decreased... Penalty. Her ground troops have offensive penalty, and her CO power reflects that. If you pop her super CO power overdrive, she gets a bonus to movement, she gets a bonus to attack, and all her units are refueled. So that's that's Jess's gimmick. Her infantry are super weak though, which is which is really bad. She's really bad in the capture game, which is which is super important in advance wars. Uh, and then you have the black hole COs. The black hole COs are the antagonists. Uh, you have Flack, who's Basically, like, the anti-Nell. His luck is just really, really, really bad. And his super CO power reflects that. He can sometimes just get a crazy blow. He can, like, one-shot a full health tank with an almost-dead unit because of just how crazy. But he he's complete trash. Uh, you have Lash, who is a terrain specialist. So Lash derives power from having units on terrain with more defense and her abilities reflect that she gets more firepower from her co powers when she pops them because they give her additional terrain stars and they give her more damage and more defense for each star she has adder is kind of a baseline co Um, his whole gimmick is he's like a snake he moves very quickly so his he doesn't have any day-to-day powers but his co and super co powers allow him to have extended range And playing against Adder, while he doesn't have any, like, regular, like, he's not good at anything, he's not bad at anything, playing against Adder can be very difficult, because you can go and position your units in such a way that you're out of his range, and all of a sudden on his turn, he does enough damage that he gets his power, and then he has extra movement, and you're in his range. And you didn't account for that. So you have to be careful when playing against Adder. Fourth Black Hole CO is Hawk. Hawk is hawk has 10 percent improved attack and defense i believe on all of his units across the board that's just his regular day-to-day power um because he is the, the ceo that fights green earth and green earth is later in the campaign and his abilities uh, his ceo powers which are black wave and black storm respectively uh deal one hit point and to his enemies and heal one hit point globally and then the super CO version Black Storm deals to and heals to uh, so it's like a 20% swing on each side right there which which can be, can be pretty devastating but his power is very expensive so that's just kind of the way the game works you pick a CO, you build units, you fight against each other try to take properties and you win the game by either wiping out all of your opponent's units, capturing their HQ or kind of There are different parameters that you can set in the game settings. Uh, Sometimes it's the first to capture 20 properties wins. Uh, Sometimes there's a time limit that says the person with the most properties or most troops at the end of the time limit wins. So there's different parameters that you can set when setting up a game to affect the victory and condition uh, outputs and affect the type of game that you play. last thing i want to touch on which is going to be the big thing for the reboot camp is it's drastically different playing this game versus actual people than it is playing the campaign against the ai because the ai is kind of stupid and it's kind of meant to be stupid to give you a chance like in Advance wars 1 you control the ais because there was a unit called the apc which the apc refuels your units and it can transport infantry around because it has a high movement. You can put the infantry inside and transport it around. And for whatever reason in advance Wars one, the AI was hard coded to hunt down and murder APCs with religious intent. <laughs> they crusaded against APCs. They would go out of their way. You could, you could use APCs to lure them into like your base and just, just fucking annihilate them because they wanted to kill the APCs so bad. Fix that a little bit in advance wars Two. But sometimes the CEOs and the AIs really make some questionable decisions. There are ways to manipulate the game into doing what you want it to do. So it's drastically different playing against a human opponent, and you really have to, to think about that when you when and I'm hoping that multiplayer is a big part of reboot camp because uh playing against a human opponent is is thrilling. It's it's one of the most fun experiences I've ever had gaming. So I just kind of wanted to talk to you. What a standard turn looks like in Advanced Wars when you're playing against a human, right? So the way I have it broken down, and guys, I am by no means an expert at this game. There are people who can, there are some people that just know the math and know what each outcome of a, of a situation is and know like exactly what to build and know exactly how to play the game. There are some people who, the skill ceiling for this game is incredible. It's unbelievable how good some people are at this game. So a standard turn looks something like this. You have your capture phase, you have your combat phase, and you have your building phase. When it comes to your turn, because it's a, a a turn game, right, you always capture first. You either move your infantry onto properties to capture, or you finish capturing properties that you started capturing last turn. You always, 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 always want to do this first. You never want to forget to capture anything, because if you potentially have another city at the end of the day, that's additional funds you'll have for the next day to build something. Capturing is... The most important thing you can do in this game. Always do it first. I know it might be exciting. You want to move your tank and wipe out this guy's unit that you've been setting up to wipe out. Capture first. Always. All the time. No matter what. The combat phase is second. And the combat phase is where you're actually fighting people. And you always want to make sure in the combat phase that you take cost-effective engagements. What does this mean? What does this mean? You don't just want to be firing on units willy-nilly. You want to get the most cost-effective trades you can. Well, as I mentioned before, each unit has a cost, right? Tanks are 7,000, medium tanks are 16,000, blah, blah, whatever, whatever units you build. All these units that you build increases the value of your army, right? So your army is the cumulative value of all the units that you've built, right? So you wanna take engagements that are cost effective. So what this means is if I build a tank for 7,000, right? I want to make sure that I can at least take away 7,000 of value from my opponent with that tank because then it will have paid for itself. If that makes sense. The more expensive units you buy, the more cost effective engagements you wanna take. You wanna be able to take engagements that take value away from your opponent's army, but not away from, take minimal value away from your army. So if you have an opportunity to attack a set with your 7,000 tank on a 15,000 indirect rocket unit, that's a cost effective trade because that tank is gonna do like between five and seven hit points of damage on that rocket. And that's 50% 50, 50 to 70% of that rocket's value, which is more than the tank costs. So that tank is already paid for itself. And you start to think about it like that because the more value you have, the better off your army is and the healthier your army is. And the, the, You always want to have more higher value than your opponent because that means generally your army is doing better. And you start to think of it in terms like that, which is why powers of COs that deal global damage, you want to think about in terms of value a CO power that deals two hit points of damage globally, you can essentially think of as dealing 20% damage to the value of your entire army at the snap of a finger. So that's something you wanna consider. That's a cost. That's what a cost effective trade is. And that's the way you have to think about it when you play advanced wars with people, it really is. If you build a Neo tank for 22,000, it's the strongest tank in the game. You better get your value out of that neo tank because it's a big investment. You want to get at least 22,000 of value of units destroyed out of that neo tank because then it's paid for itself essentially. If you build a 22,000 neo tank and it just dies right away, we've just wasted 22,000 it hasn't done anything. It really hasn't done anything. Regarding value two never use don't use your strong units to attack infantry on properties. Use your infantry to interrupt caps. Because that's an important thing, too. You want to interrupt caps to disrupt your opponent's economy. And then the the last two things I want to touch with is, and I'm running out of time here, so I apologize. Always utilize your bases. No matter what, every turn, build something on every single buildable property that you have. Even if it's cheap, even if it's inventory. Because every unit you don't build is an empty space, is value you're not adding to your army. So you always want to build on all your properties every single turn. And play to your CO strengths. Don't, if your CO is bad at air units, don't build air units. If your CO is bad at something, don't, you know, you got to play, you got to devise a strategy around what your CO is good at. And that's the most important thing. Before we close out, it's time for everybody's favorite Pokemon segment, Pokedex, please. Today's Pokédex Please is brought to you by our good friend Keith from The Main Quest Podcast. I was talking to him today and I said, I don't have a Pokémon for Pokédex Please. And he said, I got you fam. I believe that's what the kids still say. And he suggested this Pokémon. So, our Pokédex Please today is from Generation 3 once again. Debut Generation 3, so it's Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald, Fire Red, Leaf, Green. And it is none other than our boy, Cacturn, the Giant Cactus Man of all form of Cacnea, standing at four foot tall, weighing 170 pounds. Terrifying, absolutely terrifying. He looks like a cactus with like a hat on. It's terrifying. And Keith wanted me to read this Pokedex entry specifically from Sapphire, generation three. If a traveler is going through the desert in the thick of night, Cacturne will follow in a ragtag group. The Pokemon are biding their time waiting for the Traveler to tire and become incapable of moving. What happens after that? Nobody's sure, but that's ominous AF. (laughs) You just imagine, first of all, I don't know who's wandering through the desert at night, but if you do, as you get more tired, you will start to notice that there are groups of strange dudes following you, four foot tall creatures that look like cactuses, maybe you're just tired from the heat in the day, maybe you're just dehydrated because you've been walking through a desert for some reason. (laughs) I don't know, Pokemon Land is weird that people do weird things all the time to look for stuff. But you risk becoming tired and that's when they get you, the cacturn get you. What do they do? I don't know, the Pokédex entry ends very suspiciously before (laughs) we can tell what happens, but it sure ain't pretty, my money's on being eaten but you can probably use your imagination. Imagine some I <laughs> won't even go there because rule 34 and all, but man, they get ya. They get you good. <laughs> because the Pokédex entry just ends, and that's it. So, if you ever find yourself in the desert and you start to see the cacti move after you, please make sure you seek shelter immediately or get out of the heat before dark because they Will kill you or do other things to you definitely not good Pokemon are scary. Jesus Christ. I mean Cacturn is essentially like the little dinosaurs in Jurassic Park where they just follow you along and wait except they're not little dinosaurs They're four foot tall demon cactus men (laughs) On their way to kill you. So just another example of why the Pokemon universe is aft up This has been today's Pokedex Please Thank you guys so much for tuning in and letting me ramble about one of my favorite games. I could have probably talked about it for another hour, but my fiance is about to be home and I got to get cooking some dinner. (laughs) So thank you guys again so much. You can find me on the Twitter, at the Sire at PodSideQuesting is for the podcast. Find my partner, Tom, RedRival26, that is his handle on Twitter. Also, Twitch.tv forward slash RedRival26. You can see him streaming all of his favorite games, Bloodborne, Overwatch, anything you can imagine tom probably streams it it's great and then always the podcast is on instagram sidequesting podcast find us follow us on good pods follow us on good pods good pods is an incredibly awesome new podcasting app that combines the aspects of a podcast player with the aspects of a social media so not only are you able to post episodes of your podcast on good pods you're able to interact with fans, with other podcasters that post their shows, we're in a really awesome video game group hosted by the guys over at Quit the Build. Uh, definitely come check us out, say hi, uh, leave a review, do all that good stuff. Apple, Google, Good Pods, leave a review on Good Pods. Definitely the <laughs> the good place to be. And uh, we're available on all your other podcast apps, like I mentioned. So I think that's all the announcements that I have for today, guys. Thank you so much. Sorry for the quick wrap up there, but. Uh, I looked at the time and realized that I was quickly running out of time and have responsibilities. So thank you guys so much, as always, for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this little sneak peek of Advance Wars and are excited for it like I am. And we will return next week with more exciting episodes of the SideQuesting Podcast. Take care.